Welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, I'm joined by co-host Connie Dobriva, and we feature Michael Brandman, who is the president and CEO of Michael Brandman Associates. Michael's a pioneer in the environmental industry. Just a few years into his career in 1974, he was one of the original founders of the Association of Environmental Professionals, and he later served as the California State Board President in 1983. His journey closely aligned with the environmental movement, witnessing the establishment of crucial policies such as CEQA, NEPA, the Endangered Species Act, and the Clean Water Act. In 1982, Michael took a leap and started Michael Brandman Associates, a consulting firm that provided expertise in the environmental compliance at the local, state, and federal level. Over the course of 30 years in business, they successfully completed over 8,000 projects and employed a team of 65 individuals. In 2012, Michael Brandman Associates was acquired by First Carbon Solutions, cementing their impact in the industry. During this conversation, Michael shares his insights on the opportunities AEP provides for leadership training and mentorship, as well as the driving force behind the establishment of AEP's Code of Ethics. While he's retired, Michael remains engaged with AEP, continuing to contribute his wisdom and expertise to the field that he helped shape. It was a true pleasure speaking with Michael, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Jessa. My pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Connie, and my pronouns are she, her. So uh, so uh, I'm Michael Brandman, and my pronouns would be uh, he, him. Can you introduce Michael? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so welcome to our podcast, and we'd like to welcome Michael Brandman of formerly Michael Brandman and Associates and one of the leaders um, of AEP and um a legend, I would say, <laughs> in the environmental community. We were so happy when I looked out into the audience and Lynn Binder said, hey, did you see Michael? And I said, what? Um, and so it's very exciting to have you here and thank you for agreeing to come speak with us today. Well, you're very welcome. I'm, I'm really excited about this opportunity, completely unknown, unprepared, but but really, really happy to do this, uh, uh, especially since uh, you're interested uh, a little bit more in my uh, my background, what I brought to Association of Environmental Professionals over the years and, and my business practices and things like that. Yes. And thank you so much for joining us on the fly. We really appreciate it. And I'm really excited to learn more about you through this conversation. So we start off every podcast asking how you're connected to AEP. And I actually feel a little silly asking you this, <laughs> but for consistency, how are you connected to AEP? <laughs> Uh, been connected a long time. In fact, uh, was one of the original founders of the Association of Environmental Professionals. Uh, attended the uh, Stanford University, uh, actually the formation of the association uh, with some really uh, unique leaders uh, in the early, early environmental planning practice. It wasn't even known at that time, except we were talking about it and it came together and a couple of names were uh, Al Reynolds from uh, County of Santa Barbara. I mean, I would say he was really the uh, the guru and, and founder, if you will, brought us all together. And uh, there's, uh, I think it was Paul Zygman from uh, ESA was, was also a, a prominent leader at that time. So uh, that was back in 1974. And I was just uh, fairly early in uh, the professional practice of uh, of environmental planning, uh, really started uh, 
my first my first job in uh, uh, March of uh, nineteen. I gotta get this <laughs> <laughs> nineteen seventy three. Uh, so in seventy four, you know, I'd just been around a couple of years, but um, you know, I would say the, the the key word about my my whole career, really my whole life, is synchronicity. And um, and I'll just briefly go over, especially early or early in my career, going from uh, a really entry level uh, to a principal in less than two years. Oh my gosh! Goodness. <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, well, yeah, and it was it was the synchronistic uh, uh, synchronicity of what was going on um, uh, in the you know in the very early industry, but also just my uh, my passion for the work and creativity and 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 then really being involved in the early uh, formation of AEP. So that really set, set me off. But uh, so that was uh, an interesting, uh, interesting start. And that just gave me a really quick start into uh, the rest of my career in the 70s and 80s and 90s and so on. But uh, uh, I guess, first of all, I, uh, I uh, went to UCLA, uh, started in 64, graduated with a bachelor's degree in zoology in I was 68, and I went right to a master's program from there. They just this unique program. Oh, you can get a master's degree in in four quarters. I said, okay, I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I went. I went on to to, uh, to get my master's degree in uh, ethology or animal behavior and ornithology, and and then that and then I decided uh, rather than go off and either teach or of course there wasn't consulting at that point really, uh, and and I wasn't even aware of where I was headed. Um, I decided to get a PhD, uh, and I studied the uh, great blue heron in Morro Bay, uh, California, which uh, I really enjoyed. It was there from uh, 1970 to 73, and and that's where uh, my first employer found me uh, in Morro Bay. I was really became one of the local experts uh, in ornithology, and I was very involved in the Audubon Society. And there was a just like in Lake Tahoe, there was lots of controversial development proposals. On Morro Bay, and I just, you know, like a 4,000 slip marina. I mean, oh, give wow. me a break. So um, uh, I became uh, known as a, I was a local expert and interviewed by television locally and things like that. But at any rate, a company called Atlanta Scientific uh, interviewed me, wanted to know about the ecology of Morro Bay and what I was doing there, and pretty much offered me a job <laughs> on the spot. I said, well, I, you know, I'm not quite ready. And I, you know, and, and what do you guys do anyway? What is this environmental impact statement you're doing for the Army Corps of Engineers? Because, you know, the Friends of, Friends of Mammoth had not uh, really uh, uh, promulgated at that point in time. And so you didn't have EIRs for private projects. You just had, uh, you know, state and federal infrastructure and things like that. So, <clears throat> and they were in their infancy at that time. They were very much, and they were, they they just fell into, if you will, doing EISs as a side practice to more of their environmental engineering and things that they were doing in the oil industry and uh, and some other things with the Corps of Engineers. So it was it was a brand new uh, uh, professional practice that really people really didn't know anything about, and there was there was no uh, uh, college curricula at that time. Any, anywhere. It didn't happen for several years after that. But just the whole environmental movement was coming together with, you know, CEQA being uh, coming into law in the state and the NEPA 
and then the Endangered Species Act and the Clean Water Act. The Clean, it's hard to believe this all happened under President Nixon and Ronald Reagan, <laughs> but um, uh, but it's all just it's happening. And then while I was in Morave, there was the uh, what they call Prop Twenty, which was the Coastal uh, Act uh, that was uh, being. Uh, uh, sought after at that time and that pass and just it's just as an explosion of an environmental awareness um, even before uh, we knew anything about climate change which of course it came a little bit uh, down down the road and so anyway so I was I was hired by Atlanta Scientific and um, uh, just a sidebar through my practices and businesses over the years I went through five major recessions economic recessions, which is really, and I didn't even know what that was mm -hmm. at the time. So, and because of that, that those recessions created opportunity mm -hmm. for me. You had to look for the opportunity. Other, a lot of people were, you know, in anguish about it and had a lot of difficulty, but I looked at the opportunity and the, uh, with this first job, I was laid off in five months. Boom. And that was interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and that was, I was in, uh, now, Beverly Hills, West Los Angeles area at the time, and uh, applied for, for positions and was um, uh, three firms offered me a job, two in Orange County, and I end up, uh, ended up going to Orange County, which I was really unfamiliar with. Uh, and so uh, there's a company at that time called uh, Tubes Engineering. And they were eventually acquired by Planning Research Corporation. And you know, that's a whole other story <laughs> in and of itself. <clears throat> but the key to that is and each, each step that, uh, that I went in my career, uh, especially the early ones, I worked with other um, very prominent either land planners or engineers, civil engineers or uh, architects who eventually went on to create uh, a number of other consulting firms. Uh, and I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. So at any rate, uh, I decided after five months and the, the recession being uh, uh, going deeper and deeper that rather than wait potentially for a layoff, because I'd had experience that once, I decided, you know what, I'm going to look around. So at that time, uh, uh, American Planning Association was called uh, uh, American Society of Planners. And uh, so they had uh, job opportunities listing and um, applied for a couple of things there. But uh, I actually accepted a position in uh, upstate New York to be the uh, director of natural resources planning of the Lake Ontario St. Lawrence River uh, system. Now, got to remember, I just was basically entry level earlier that year in 1973. So by the end of the year, I was being offered this position which I actually accepted uh, to go to upstate New York and live in Watertown. And uh, I was contacted by a name you might be familiar with, uh, Dick Romella. Yes, yes. One of, one of the founders, founders of the planning, planning center. Well, Dick, Dick was with Chapman Phillips Brant Reddick. <clears throat> and he had just come from Orange County, uh, environmental uh, management uh, uh, practice there uh, that they just created it at the, uh, at the Orange County planning. Anyway, so um, he became aware of me from one of the first major land development EIRs that I actually was preparing as a project manager at Tubes. And uh, I met Bill Phillips. Some of you might remember Bill Phillips and John Chapman, 
who was one of the founders of the planning center. So the, the, the planning center, that's just as an example of some of these, these people I worked with that went on to create these other organizations that just grew and thrived and planning centers still exist today under a different name. Uh, Placeworks. What's it, what is it? Placeworks. Okay, right. So anyway, um, so they offered me a job and I took that job. I declined the other one. I stayed in Orange County, sunny Orange County, rather than moving to very cold Watertown, New York. And uh, as, and I had some of my own stipulations as director of natural resources planning for CP, uh, for Chapman Phillips Brant Reddick, which was a land planning firm, did a little bit of architecture under John, who was an architect, but they were doing major pro land planning projects and um, they, needed to have someone that could prepare EIRs relating to the different planning projects. So that was, that was me, took that position, grew that position. And um, as a, as a director, so in less than a year, went from entry level to director. And then John and Bill, who were the primary owners of CPBR, uh, decided, but we want to go down different paths. And so they decided to talk to different employees and 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 Dick and John went this way and 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 Bill Phillips and some others went that way. And and I had to make a decision. I could have gone either way. Mm -hmm. they, they both wanted me because for that environmental practice that by that time I built uh, about six people in, in a year and was, was doing quite well. And uh, I decided to stay with Bill and uh and become a principal and owner because that wasn't actually offered to me by the other group because they're much you know i was just this young guy in his late 20s who barely scratched the surface so went that direction with bill phillips and some others and and uh john and dick went to the planning center with some others and that's you know the rest is history there so i'm going to take a drink of water yeah no i think this is i'm just listening like literally almost well not almost okay. yeah not literally on the edge of my seat but i feel like i am and i'm just it's so incredible to hear I know all these opportunities and the early onset of this field and industry and something that you, you know, when we were talking about, like a lot of these fields and careers didn't exist at the time. And I was wondering like what in the first place, like even led you to this interest, like in the passion for the environment. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think the passion for the environment came through my PhD program and being in Morro Bay. Cause I, you know, I was studying this particular bird, a great blue heron. Mm -hmm. But to do that and the type of work I was doing, I had to understand uh, the entire environment mm -hmm. was going on and the ecology in Morro Bay in, in terms of, uh, you know, the hydrology, the geology, the climate, uh, the you know, interaction with other species, land, you know, land development, what was affecting the wildlife, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that really gave me a, a, a perspective of that. And then, um, Actually, my first title was wildlife biologist, not environmental planner. Yeah. <laughs> As you know, and I had not—I uh, completed my PhD uh, field work, but I had not gotten physically had my PhD and written my thesis at that point. I actually wrote that over the next couple of years, so um, that really introduced me to it. And then I think just in my first job, it was amazing. I was thrust in the position of project manager on uh, this major project for the Corps of Engineers in Florida <clears throat> uh, on the uh, Kissimmee River, mm. which actually is 
I think National Geographic just had a, a major uh, story on that in, in the magazine and, and so on. But the Kissimmee River basically was channelized and created total environmental ecological havoc mm-hmm. from the 60s and, you know, almost up until the present. And so the study was to say, okay, how do we correct this problem? How do we put it back? So again, it gave me this holistic view of the total environment dealing with this one issue of the Cassini River. And so I became rather specialized in water resource related projects, even though that wasn't my trained background in college uh, and uh, and otherwise. So um, I did many, many, many other projects after that relating to water resources and uh, water management and water quality and this, that, and the other thing. So uh, that, I think, gave me the big, bigger perspective. And then from going to Toops, which is a civil engineering firm that had a planning and environmental, small environmental practice, they were dealing with land development. Mm-hmm. So that really uh, put me in a position to understand uh, that aspect of uh, of what was going on with the effects of, of land development on uh on the ecology, on the environment. And so I had to, I entered that with the perspective of balance. Balance is the, another key word. Balancing the environmental uh, uh, quality and the, the, the state of the, uh, of the environment at the time of a proposed land development and, and actually analyzing, okay, what would the impacts be? What are the mitigation measures How, or even a redesign and alternatives? Of uh, of balancing that land deal because my 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 theory was uh, the population is growing, land development is going to happen, infrastructure is going to happen. So I felt good about myself and my practice to help uh, balance that uh, all those different projects with the with the environment. Yes, were there going to be impacts? Yes, there were. But how can we reduce those? And I really, early on, long before <laughs> became a, a buzzword in uh, mitigation measures and mitigation monitoring programs, that's something that I developed, you know, re- really in you know in the late seventies and, and early eighties, and eventually it became part of uh, the CEQA, CEQA guidelines and CEQA practice, as many other things. Um, and there were times when I actually had to. Uh, let go of a couple of clients saying, you know, look, this 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 is not a uh, an ethical uh, or uh, uh, yeah ethical and moral uh, thing you want me to do and what you want me to say, and it's it, it's not going to happen. So if this is if this is what you you want to uh, uh, promote, then you're going to have to you're going to have to hire somebody else. So. Those weren't really yeah. those weren't pleasant conversations. It's integrity and seems true to your Absolute, values. That's absolutely really and and that and, and that's built in the ethics of uh, AEP and ethical practices. And it wasn't always followed by some people, but that's just something that uh, really based uh, my environmental practice and instilled in my my employees and how I mentored my employees. You can you can say no to something that a particular whether it's a public or a private client. Um, so that's a, a little bit of a, of a diversion. Yeah, sorry, I've a little bit. It is. And yet you bring up a really interesting point, which is maybe your theory on mentorship. 
And in, in telling us your story, what I heard often was that AEP and APA professional organizations played a large part in how you were introduced to people, how you got your jobs, um, and how you how you then grew your firm over the years and the relationship you had. Could you maybe speak to the leaders, today's leaders that maybe don't see the importance of um, associations, or could you speak to how important it was for you and your business and your mentorship of people um, to be involved with professional organizations? Yes, definitely. Um, and, and just to reemphasize that <clears throat> part of the instigation, if you will, for creating an association of environmental professionals was the code of ethics. Because there was a lot of uh, negative things going on, even in the early 70s, that, uh, uh, we, that the professionals that were there paid attention to and said, you know, that, that we have to have a, a, uh, a code of ethics that our association members subscribe to in terms of how they, the need to be objective and to be ethical, and so on, and so on, and uh, so that was a big part of it. Um, but that that was also part of my my own uh, again my own personal development, and I took my own personal development and transferred that into a mentorship of, of people that that I brought on. So um, uh, as, as part of that that mentorship was yes, you 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 need to have an ethical practice. Uh, you need to uh, you need to have a, a uh, continuing education. It's just like it's it's not a one and done type of situation where you get your degree. You need to continue because in this uh, evolving field, which is, was evolving extremely quickly in the, in the first couple of decades, uh, in particular. I mean, it still is. It's never going to stop. You need you need to stay abreast of the issues. You need to stay abreast of the of, of the regulations. And a big part of that is being involved in the Association of Environmental Professionals, and because it brings so much um, opportunity for training, for mentorship, for leadership. Uh, and so I really promoted that with my employees. In fact, many, many of uh, people that worked for me became directors, became officers in AEP over the over the decades. And um, uh, you know, I mentored uh, I mentored people early on at uh, when I uh, when became PB at Phil Brandt Reddick when John Chapman started the planning system because Phil Brandt Reddick. So I I went from a, a, a practice of uh, of three or four people up to about 25 people in the environmental aspect of that. And the, and the firm grew. And then um, in early 82 and in, in 82, another deep recession was going on. And the way the, the company was set up is that, you know, Bill Phillips was in the primary owner and he had his own way of doing business and kind of blending his personal business life with, business life and 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 that's just something that didn't fit well with me and and so I decided you know I wanted to start my own company and this was what year in 1982 the end of 82 and so I, I had it to talk you're talking about your organization so I started an instant firm of eight people literally overnight <laughs> you know from leaving uh PPR and, and setting up an office and so on and so on and one of my early employees and, and I pride as a great success um, 
that uh, I brought on in 1983 when we're still very, very young and growing was uh, Gary Jacobs, uh, who's now, uh, I don't know if his title is president or CEO, but obviously if it's, he's a leader in a sense, along with uh, Curtis Alley. And uh, so Gary and I worked together uh, for you know, almost a couple of decades and, and uh, a little less time with, with Kurt, but I was really, really proud of my mentorship with Gary, who was at that time very young, pretty much entry level. And, uh, and by the time uh, he, he did leave uh, MBA, he was a principal in the company in a short time. So I kind of patterned my development, my professional development in the company and, uh, and education and so on, and, and tried to pass that along to, to my employees. And, and the ones that took that on, it became very, very successful in what they do. And some of them are still doing it today, which is nice. And it's good seeing Gary here at the conference. Absolutely. I love the origin <laughs> stories. And I really love your mantra or sort of your thoughts on allowing people to promote quickly. You were able to promote yourself. And so rather than, and yes, experience is important, but I love the entrepreneurial spirit that you seem to have just carried throughout all of your endeavors. Yeah. And how large did Michael Bramman and Associates become by the time you stepped away? Um, well, one from time, the eight to yeah, yeah, from the eight, it went up to uh, in the eighties. Uh, it was a very short recession, over very deep. Very, but then, and people thought I was crazy. What are you doing? You're setting up a new firm when there's no business out there. Well, there actually was business, and actually, I had developed quite good relationships both in the public, private sector, and not just myself, but my team. And so, uh, uh, we grew very quickly. We literally doubled every year from uh, 1983 up until the end of the uh, into the 80s. So, you know, 8, 16, and was almost literally exponential in, in, in that way. So we ultimately were about 150 wow. uh, people, five offices. Uh, we developed some other disciplines uh, dealing with um, uh, toxics and the regulations leading to where you, I'm trying to remember the name of the report you had to do, but uh, all of a sudden it was regulated where you had to for a, a property transaction, the phase one, phase environmental. one. Thank you. Yeah. So we developed a practice in that, and that led us into hiring some people that were doing environmental work in landfills and landfill design. And so that was really, really interesting uh, part of the practice, and many other things in, in uh, water resources. And uh, so it was very diverse. And we talk about inclusion and diversity today. And we didn't really talk about it in that way <laughs> back in the 80s, but that was, but I, although I promoted it, in fact, you know, our firm was, um, was always uh, fit more than 50% women. And um, early on, we didn't necessarily focus on other ethnicities, but I mean, everybody was welcome. It didn't, it didn't really matter. What, what did matter, you had people, uh, the demographics were the people that were coming out of the colleges and how the, the field was developing in the, to environmental planning degrees and so on, and who were taking, uh, you know, taking those degrees. So in Orange County, the demographics were different than they were in Los Angeles or, or other places. And uh, so I promoted that and promoted um, flexibility for 
the women, because women were really the driving force in our in our in our company. We had we had uh, uh, women that that promoted up to becoming principals in the firm, and so on and so on. And you know, when uh, women are married and and uh, and they they want to have a family, we gave opportunity for them to work at home. Uh, uh, early on, you know, uh, uh, initially. Of course, they took the time off mm-hmm. even before it was regulated. Mm-hmm. We gave we gave time off with pay, and then uh, and then allowed kind of a ramping back up to whatever worked for them in their own family uh, relationships and, and with their professional development. So that we actually had uh, <laughs> women come to 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 uh, my firm because of that, including my present wife. <laughs> Back in like she was she was married, you know, she was married to some someone else at that time and I was too and there, there was no relationship. But the fact is part of the reason she was attracted to Michael Bram Associates because she wanted to have a family. She wasn't pregnant. She wanted to have a family. She wanted to have the flexibility and she knew that that you know that's what we did. So uh that was something we promoted. Great model. Yeah, how was, how important was culture um, to to the organization, you know, a lot of times organizations will focus a lot on the vision and profits and goals. And how important do you, what role did culture play in your firm? It sounds like by reputation, quite a bit. Uh, well, definitely. And you know, I, I would say some might disagree, and maybe it went up and down a little bit. But having a a feeling of family culture within the company was very, very important. And especially early on when we weren't really, really big, <laughs> you know, over hundred people. But when we, as we were developing, especially in the, in the eighties, maybe early nineties is that we would have uh, annual company picnics and with softball game or volleyball games with the families and this. So we, we were not only worked together, but we had families that came together. And uh, so we definitely, we definitely had, had that culture. And we had, again, we had the culture of, of really the best of our ability, make sure that our employees took advantage of every opportunity for their own personal growth, Uh, not only professionally, but otherwise, if that's what they needed. Uh, And so we, I think we were one of the the first firms, certainly environmental practice, that had uh, a human resources team. And a human resources director, and uh, and that was important to us, and uh, and I think you know our our team really supported that, and we supported people in their uh, in their own growth opportunities uh, long term in retirement, whether it's four hundred one k, and we actually had a four hundred one k plan in nineteen eighty four. We were just two years into practice, and so that was something that was important to not just for the owners. And there were there were five owners. We started out. We had eight employees, but five owners, and I was a majority owner. And then they all they all continued to develop from there and brought in new people that that were able to participate in ownership. So that was really really very important to, for people to know that they could grow within the firm. They didn't have to go to another firm to uh, to climb that ladder, if you will, and um, and to really share with our. Uh, employees, and we had, uh, I think, pretty progressive bonus programs, and um, time off programs, and so on and so on. Yeah, so. I think listening to that, it's 
it's very forward thinking and long-term thinking to implement all those initiatives that you spoke of and benefits Mm -hmm. when it wasn't required at the time and to be, and I think about how you said your work, um, Memorial Bay, Mm -hmm. when you saw all the systems work together and you could see the big picture, it's like applying that to the business like model itself as well. Like you could see if we treat people better, we're going to have an easier time recruiting. They're going to want to stay. They're going to be more engaged and better performing. And that helps grow. And like you said, like exponentially, like double growth year after year after year is clearly a result of like how well you treated your people. Definitely. And I I learned early on uh, at, uh, at PBR uh, that the uh, primarily architectural design and uh, engineering firms were were obviously well ahead of the environmental profession in terms of their business practices and acumen and project management practices and so on and so on. So I uh, took my time and spent my time to, to take the courses and be involved in learning more about project management and business management and leadership and so on. Um, and, you know, I was really the one in that in that firm, even though the other three principals at, at first were, were landscape architects, they really didn't have much interest in that, that other interest, but I really had an interest. And so, I, you know, I brought that into my firm and, and I also wanted the environmental professional to be uh, not a second class citizen with projects because... <laughs> almost really first couple of decades, and it doesn't exist now, I'm sure, but we were called, you know, the EIR guys. We were we were basically second, secondary or second-class citizens, if you will, on being a team member on a project. And um, and I, I promoted bringing that, that uh, uh, bringing our profession up to where we were equals. You know, uh, it's it's almost when we think about inclusion and other things. Well, the environmental practice itself yeah. was discriminated against in a lot of ways, and and I think I, I really helped uh, bring our profession to to the be equals with the architects and the planners and the designers. Where we sat at the table designing products because that's what I did. Uh, I, I was right there. In fact, I actually there were several projects where I was actually the overall principal in charge of a design project. And uh, the environmental aspect of it really became the driver uh, more than anything else. And um, I really believed in um, the uh, design with nature, Ian McCark, and that I was exposed to that early in my career. And that's another one thing back in 1974. And um, so I subscribed to that and uh, used that in, in, in my practices right, right then. And it was great being part of design teams early on at, at PBR, CPBR, um, when I became that director of natural resources, plan, all of a sudden, you know, I had some importance. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was an important part of it. I This is a little bit of a, well, I don't know if it's a digression, but um, I, you know, for those who are listening and maybe watching, might be able to see I'm kind of laughing at because they see um Michael's badge and it has two AEP 20 plus <laughs> numbers on it. And I'm like, okay, because it's been 50 years technically. So they didn't make a badge for you. Um that was not very inclusive, but I see you got two. <laughs> yeah, that, that was kind of cute when I was when I was registering and I saw the tag, oh uh, 20 plus members. I said, 
well, you know, I bet I've been a member for longer than yeah. She says, well, then take two. That's fine. I love that. You need to cut another one in half for the 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking of, you know, I you're retired now and you're at the AEP conference. And so I was wondering, like, what's it like today? Like, what's your involvement with AEP and the profession? Uh, it hasn't been much. Say, how are since, you? Yeah. Yeah. Involved, maybe. yeah. I sold my company in um, 2012. Actually, I had several suitors <laughs> that were interested in acquiring our company because, again, we were just coming out of that the big 2008 to 2011 recession. And and we we made it through that and we're growing and profitable. And so we were, we were potentially an attractive acquisition. And I was getting towards you know, close in the, my full-time professional career, at least it's seen that way. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so we had several suitors, but so I sold, sold the firm to a company, uh, First Carbon uh, Solutions, which is part of a larger, major uh, worldwide conglomerate uh, called ADEC uh, that was uh, stationed out of the uh, Philippines. They did huge amount of data management for companies um, like First American Title, they First American Title basically sent everything overseas, and uh, as far as their their data and their records and everything having to do with property transactions, and they also did major work for pharma uh, around the world. Anyway, they had a smaller environmental practice called First Carbon Solutions, which is really focusing on sustainability. And how can we reduce the carbon footprint and so on? Very, very early on, uh, in in the if you will sustainability type of practice. So they thought that um, uh, our environmental planning firm teamed with theirs could really develop into something. So, uh, anyway, it was an opportunity. You know, I probably uh, uh, would have I would have definitely have worked professionally uh, longer than I did. But at that point in time, it just didn't make sense. And my son, Jason, uh, Jason Bramman, is a uh, uh, principal and executive vice president at First Carbon Solutions. And, and so he continued the environmental practice. So it's the Michael Bramman Associates. <laughs> uh, uh, lives on. Yeah, it, it lived, that's a good way to put it. Lives on with Jason and his practice and what he's doing. And, and so that's that's exciting. Um, and so that's still happening. So I so go ahead. Cut you off. We have had a a series on the podcast, an intergenerational series, with um, leaders mm-hmm. like you and your son. I think could be a fun. I'm going to float that idea. Out that would be fun. Yeah. Oh no, no, he's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to float that idea. Out. We had Corinne and her mother on one of those. So he will he will bring a different perspective no 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 question and um you know one of the things i didn't mention you can just kind of tell about my story and who i am and and, and what i've done is my passion yeah my passion for the practice and so uh, you know i i came to work quote unquote every day uh, with excitement and joy and ready for the next uh, ne- next challenge. And there, believe me, there are a lot of different challenges, not only project challenges, but economic challenges and employee challenges and this, that, and the other thing uh, over the year, over the decades. Uh, but I always uh, was excited about that. I knew challenges presented opportunities and they did. You may not have 
thought that they might at the time. He certainly didn't. <laughs> but in, in the end, the, the, uh, the some of the challenges created opportunities for him specifically to make a, a I'll call it a quantum leap, much like I did earlier in my career from from being you know at one level in the firm to another level in the firm yeah. and, and and to what what he is today and what what he's accomplishing so uh, yeah that would be an interesting conversation <laughs> not see all right <laughs> speaking it to an assistant so anyway that's okay for the digression but if yeah, yeah so um let me see uh, I, I think i've talked about the progression from the the, the different different companies and um I think one of the things I'm very proud of, and some of the people I might not even remember their names, but uh, I would say uh, over the decades, uh, from the mentoring, direct mentoring that I did, and from the mentoring, again, Gary Jacobs is another example that he's done. I mean, we've literally touched hundreds of environmental, pro environmental professionals. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a really good feeling to have. And, and so uh, when... I saw that the conference was coming to Lake Tahoe. I said, oh, I really need to take advantage of this. I really would like to uh, re-engage in the organization. And uh, and there may be opportunities through some sort of leader, leadership emeritus, things I think uh, Michael Hendricks is thinking about. He hasn't really talked to me in detail. But anyway, that, that kind of excites me. And I know the next year is the 50-year anniversary. Um, and... Shameless plug, it will be in Anaheim. <laughs> it, will, it will be in Anaheim, uh, where I, I came from, when I from uh, up here from Lake Tahoe. We lived in Anaheim and uh, did many, many projects in the city of Anaheim, uh, from the Disney projects, California Adventures, and the specific plan, and Anaheim Stadium expansion for the Rams. Everybody can remember oh, cool. the Rams at that time, yeah. and so on and so on. So I have a, a good relationship uh, and history with the city of Anaheim and, and of course Orange County, which really gave me the, the biggest boost in, in my career. A lot of interesting things. And I, I did offer my library today to, uh, to Lynn, because I, I selectively kept uh, the really key documents during my career going back from the 70s up through 2012, let's say. Wow, and, uh, and, uh, and I wanna offer those to the organization to have, and, uh, you know, I've kept them in, you know, really good condition and so on. But I really don't need to keep them stored in a closet, if you will, anymore. I'd, I'd like I'd like the organization to have them and for posterity. So it, it, you see a good progression of environmental planning uh, documents going back to the mid 70s, you know, up until at least that point. In time. And I know they've developed even further since then. Yeah. So that's that's something that will happen soon. Yeah, that's incredible. That's what a I, it's you continue to give and give and share and so many generations, like you said, you've touched hundreds of professionals and haven't stopped. Like you're you're continuing to share your knowledge and leadership and expertise and create these resources or provide these resources for career professionals to access. Yeah. And um, I think that's. That's really important. I love that you're giving that to AEP. That's uh, <laughs> what a gift. Oh, I feel like yeah. I know Connie has a, a plug. Oh yes, no. So we are I... we are kicking off a mentorship program um, in the next week or two, and we absolutely would love to have you on board if you'd be interested. Mm -hmm. We're also creating an emeritus program to make sure that you continue to have involvement and learn 
from as folks have retired and are getting to retirement age, the sharing of knowledge of history, um, your leadership skills, the things that are important uh, for young planners to learn. Um, we definitely don't want to lose this legacy of yours. And so that's one of the things we discussed at yesterday's board meeting mm. was how can we capture that? How can we how can we create opportunities to involve you with the emerging professionals and to have them learn from you? You know, I, I wrote down some words of, of sort of your story and synchronicity, balance, integrity, passion, sort of the code of ethics of your own life, and also making sure that that is embodied in the profession and how those two things um, are really intertwined. Um, and then more than anything, how challenges present opportunities. And from an early age, I can see that you were um, fearless in you know, accepting a role of di directorship in New York. And I think that those are such uh, great skills and great outlooks that we'd love to have you share further with the organization. No, thank you. Uh, I'd, be, yeah, I'd be happy to do it. It's pretty exciting, exciting time. And it's so exciting to see all these young professionals uh, here at, at this conference. It's, They're it's amazing. Just, they are. Oh, my word. And, you know, sitting in some of these panels, it, it, they are amazing. And, and if I can add anything to their continued growth, yeah, I'd enjoy doing that. I know Michael Hendricks would like to. And I know Gary will. I mean, Gary is kind of the second generation. And he's 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 developed the third generation, maybe even the fourth from that after all these years. And it's it's just expanding from there. Absolutely. They continue to be leaders in our industry. Yep. They they create content, they bring their companies, they they pour so much of themselves into this organization. Um, we have the Al Reynolds Award. So everybody that you oh, started oh, out yeah. with are just we're still heavily contributing to this. Um, organization and this practice that we have yes yeah yeah I can see I mean what the 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 size and diversity of the organization and the stability and the and the economics stability at this point in time is it's just going to grow exponentially I mean it's just it's just well well established and you know I was president back in 82 83 and uh we were struggling. It was Absolutely. a it was a tough time. It was in the recession, and uh, we lost money in that first that conference that I was actually the president of, and <laughs> I didn't feel great about that. But I spent the next few years again trying to help remedy that and grow grow the association. Um, but it's come so far, and uh, I'm really pleased to see that it's it's fantastic. What's it the has, membership now? Well, our membership is about 22 or 2,300 yeah. folks. And for those of you that don't know, we're actually recording live here at the conference. And we have about 650 attendees, which is record setting for us. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. Yeah, it's really great. And we really couldn't have done it. Um, we can't do it without, we're all volunteers. So we can't do it without the continued dedication and passion of um basically the the people that you mentored and the example that you and everybody who was at the foundation of AEP, um, your legacy still lives on. I guess maybe I just want to acknowledge and, and thank that because just Gary still helps prepare all of our, our case updates every single year. So, so That's fantastic. this still is an ongoing gift that you all started when you helped found um, AEP at 
you know, sort of the the birth of environmental planning in California and in the United States. Yeah. And being back here at Lake Tahoe, not not just being at this conference, but uh, seeing the uh, the the challenges and the issues and everything going on here. Actually, my wife Pam and I were actually getting more involved in some of the uh, some of the meetings and workshop and what's going on dealing with housing and transportation and in the environment and quality water quality and so on and so on. So we're we're here and that's the thing excited about coming to this conference is that this just gives an opportunity to uh, to meet uh, some of the other people such as the supervisor and Julie and so on uh, knew of them of course and read about them a lot uh, but now it, it gives an opportunity to actually engage. Uh, more directly uh, to improve and continuing what's going on here. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the fly. Uh, Connie tracked you down and roped you in here. And we're so <laughs> glad you stayed to record this with us. Thank you. You're and we'll welcome. do our wrap up rapid five and uh, let you go check out the okay. session. So uh, what is your favorite daily habit? Oh boy. <laughs> Well, I mean, habits uh, and routines are one thing. Well, one one thing uh, that relates to that uh, that I have to, I have to say is that after uh, I finished up with uh, MBA and First Carbon, um, about a year later, actually, it may have been the first AEP Institute I went to in uh, Berkeley. I think it was in nineteen in two thousand fifteen. And I decided at that time, and I got kind of reacquainted with people, and I said, you know. Um, I think I need to move on to my next chapter. So very soon after that, I enrolled in a master's program of consciousness studies mm. with the Holmes Institute. So I have another master's degree, but it's an entirely different program. Although there's a lot of overlap uh, with uh, what I've done in my career and and how I brought that to my, my consciousness studies. And so um, I also... A couple of years later, um, studied to become a spiritual practitioner with the Centers for Spiritual Living. So that's what uh, I'm doing as a as a practice. It's not full time, but I, uh, and my wife Pam became a minister, and so she's that's what brought us back up here with uh, in the Centers for Spiritual Living in Carnelian Bay. So part of my routine, which I really do love, is supporting her, and so I take care of the business. The routine business at home. Okay, I love it. <laughs> uh, and so, so she can get out the out the door because she works full time uh, at what she does, more than full time actually. So I enjoy helping her, preparing her, and then I'm involved in the center in in other ways and with 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 the members. So that's that's very exciting. Oh man, I have won a whole other podcast on that. That's a whole like that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> and I appreciate you saying that because. And when we um, interviewed Julie Reagan, and she was saying how instrumental, like her husband has been at home to helping her ah, and do I some of the, the business, the home business, so right. she can get her PhD and be the yes. executive director. So same thing, same thing. I love this. supportive yeah. men, yes. Of course, I do fit in real quickly. I do fit in my skiing and my cycling <laughs> okay. and my hiking, my, you know, and kayaking and all that stuff. I do. I do. <laughs> I love that. It's so interesting. All right. Three things you take to a deserted island. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. You know, first top of my head, binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> 
because you know I not only look for birds but other wildlife. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a real uh, observer yeah. what's going on around me. So binoculars, the second so the dessert. I said the other thing I would want is a kayak. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. And um, I would. Uh, I, I it's, it's really funny. Yes, I mean. I would want my uh, snorkel gear. <laughs> yes. So those are three things I have to have. I love that. Very practical. Um, and fun, too. And fun, yeah. Uh, what's, your favorite, fun. what's your favorite environmental policy? Ah. Well, I think my because I was part of the development of it, and I really believed in it, and it's taken decades, probably not perfect yet, but can maybe close, is <clears throat> is mitigation monitoring. It was so abused in the, <laughs> in the early years or non-existent, even though people were supposed to do it. And and it was at those times where your your client, again, you were kind of the, who are you? You're just the environmental consultant. What do you know? You mm-hmm. can't tell us what to do. <laughs> well, I I think I think that is ex- for the whole balance aspect of it uh, and a continuing balance of whatever um, impacts a project might have had on the environment and you have mitigation measures set up is to follow through on those uh, for whatever length of time you're supposed to be doing that to create, again, a better quality environment. So that would be good. What's your favorite flora or fauna? Oh, well, I have to say the great blue heron. <laughs> Two that, speakers in a row. <laughs> did you hear Julie say that? She said that was her favorite bird. Great blue heron? Yes. I did not. So when you said it, Connie and I just kind of were like, wow, wow earlier in the conversation, we're like, oh, great blue heron. And I was like, I bet that's going to be his favorite. Yeah. Well, I spent three years with, with this bird and this colony in Morro Bay, uh, and, you know, 24 7. I mean, it was really quite incredible learning about uh, the behavior of this particular species. It was called, and with my title of my thesis was the uh, uh, analysis. Uh, let's see, I, I heard it correct. It was about the oh, the quantitative analysis of behavior in the great blue heron. So, what is that all about? <laughs> and what that took was really following this bird around and seeing exactly how it behaved, how it performed, how it adapted. Uh, I, I, I've never seen an organization, an organism that was so adaptive Ooh. to the changing environment. Uh, uh, so anyway, great blue heron, they're a beautiful bird. Uh, very, very unique. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you and Julie connect in a I'll have to talk to her. To, uh, That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'd love to read that report. <laughs> Yeah. So right. when you meet about Lake Tahoe and, and some of the work she's doing, you could talk about the great blue hair. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I, I'll hear it in her podcast. Yeah. She'll hear if she listened to this one. She'll hear. Yes. <laughs> and then finish this thought. Wouldn't it be cool if? Wouldn't it be cool if? Hmm. Wouldn't it be cool for me, not me? Or anything. 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 Oh, anything. You, the world, me. Finishing thoughts. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, I'll I'll just stick to the, since we're in Lake Tahoe and the local way, wouldn't it be cool that uh, between the agencies and the people in the community, 
that we will be able to actually have real balance in uh, the environmental quality of the place that we live for ourselves and for the for the surrounding environment. That would be cool. It would be awesome. Yeah, it would be. It would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Michael. Okay, you're welcome. Michael, thank you so much. We're honored. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be updated when new episodes are released and leave us a review to let us know what you think. It also really helps us to share the podcast with others who may enjoy learning about the environmental industry. If you want to submit a shout out or any feedback, please send an email or voice memo to podcast at califaep.org. The email again is podcast with an S, podcast at califaep.org. <laughs>